From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. A new executive order from President Trump includes government contractors and grantees among the groups that can offer certain types of diversity training. The order requires a provision in contracts that says companies won't have training that includes race or sex stereotyping or scapegoating. The executive order references examples from training at the Treasury Department and Argonne National Laboratories. President Trump's executive orders on 2018 on unions at agencies violate federal labor law, according to an arbitrator. William Persina of the Federal Mediation and Conciliation Service ruled agencies can institute policies outside of the collective bargaining process as the EO required. Federal Times reports the Patent and Trademark Office will have to stop the practices in the EO and post a public notice it violated the law. The acting Secretary of Homeland Security says he'll hire more employees for the agency to meet its mission if the Senate confirms him permanently. Chad Wolf told the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee at his confirmation hearing Wednesday, Customs and Border Protection in particular needs more employees. GovExec reports DHS hasn't had a confirmed secretary since April of last year. The Postal Service says it won't defer the payroll tax of its employees. It's ignoring the executive order President Trump signed that won't let federal employees opt out of the deferrals. Acting Director of the Office of Personnel Management Michael Regas told you about that on the program this week. Randy Irwin's National President of the National Federation of Federal Employees. Randy, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What are your members, the people you represent, telling you that they're seeing in their paychecks and telling you that they're worried about, about the payroll tax deferral? Well, they're about to see it in their paychecks. It hasn't happened yet. Um, it's being implemented, uh, you know, across the government for the pay period that we're in right now that ends on Saturday. So it'll it'll start appearing in their paychecks, you know, starting next week. Um, and, you know, we're hearing, we're hearing a lot of concerns. Um, there's a lot of confusion, uh, and that's a sad thing. I mean, the the way that it was rolled out very hastily, the way that there was very vague guidance put out uh, since news broke that they were going to be doing this, uh, it has not, you know, answered all the questions uh, that federal employees have. Um, and then there, there's concerns about, you know, the truth is federal employees know that they're going to have to pay this back. We're educating them. That wasn't clear from the guidance, but now they're getting, they're starting to understand uh, this is not a, some some tax break that they're not going to have to pay back. They are going to have to pay this back next year in all likelihood. Uh, and so how is that going to happen? Um, you know, their 6.2% 6, 6 is going to come off their paychecks uh, for the latter part of this year, but then it's going to go up 12% in the next year. Uh, and that's that's a major concern. How are they going to pay that? How how is that going to be phased in? Uh, we don't have answers to any of these questions. And that's kind of where I wanted to go is what do we know for sure right now, Randy? I'll tell you this. We know for sure that the president does not have the authority to do what he says he wants to do. You know, he has insinuated uh, in a tweet that if, if uh, he's reelected, federal employees are not going to have to pay this back. Uh, he does not have the authority to do that. He needs Congress to act for a, a you know a change in tax law, which is what this amounts to, um, and so that's that's snake oil. It's it's not it is not going to happen. Federal employees are going to have to pay it back 
Um, that much we know unless there's an unprecedented act from Congress, which is very unlikely to happen. What do you want to see agencies do to help your members understand how this is going to affect them? What's lacking in the guidance that you've seen or what is inconsistent in the guidance that you've seen so far? It's been very inconsistent because OMB put out some very short, very vague guidance in September um, and basically said, hey, agencies, it's up to you. Do it. Do it right now. Don't let allow there to be any exceptions, uh, but you handle the communication. So it's been, uh, you know, ha very haphazard on the communication. And, you know, it's, it's it, it, frankly, it's a little bit late for communication. I, I mean, they're doing this right now. You know, we would like to bargain over some of these things. Uh, we would like to, you know, get some of the critical answers that our members have answered, you know, answered. And, you know, it's, it's basically being, you know, shoved down their throats. Uh, it's unfortunate, but federal employees feel like they're being, uh, you know, uh, treated like guinea pigs here. Given that we are where we are, though, Randy, what needs to happen in the next two weeks, three weeks, whatever, when people start getting their checks? What mm -hmm. are you doing to, to educate those folks, and what do you think the agency should be doing? I understand your point about what should have happened up until now. It didn't. So now what do we do? Oh, we would like to see clear guidance from the agencies to to tell federal employees that they're going to have to pay this money back and they should start setting aside any additional sums that are appearing on their paycheck. It's it's just going to disappear next year. So, um, you know, set those asides because, um, you know, and that, that hasn't been done yet. The agencies have been, you know, they've been playing a game. They want it to seem like this might be a permanent thing when it's not going to be. So they're playing along with the White House on this. Uh, but, you know, we'd like to see them put out some clear guidance, but we don't have our hopes up. Uh, so, you know, so the agents, so the unions, you know, we're doing our part to educate our members. Um, but, but that's, you know, it's a difficult task when you don't have, uh, you know, the honest, uh, forthright cooperation from the agencies on this. What else can you do in the position that you're in right now other than just educate your members as much as you possibly can? I don't really know what we can do. I mean, again, it, it, it's very late in the game. Uh, if we had, to, if this was rolled out properly, you know, we would have months and months to prepare and, and you know, to provide feedback and, and, and hopefully get some honest guidance from the agencies. But at, but at this late stage, you know, we just got to tell our members, hey, save your money. Do not get your hopes up. Uh, this is not likely to be permanent. And um, you're going to be having to pay this back ne next year. We'll, we'll, we'll do our best to inform you as soon as you can. We have some idea that, you know, hopefully it'll, it might be phased in, you know, every pay period, it'll be a 12% cut in pay uh, for the first four months. You know, we think that's probably the most likely scenario, but we don't really know that yet. And, um, you know, there's, there's really not much we can do at this, at this stage. You know, we, we pursued, we would like to have filed a lawsuit on this, unfortunately for the kind of thing that it is. Uh, it was a difficult thing to, to file a lawsuit and get an injunction and, and ultimately win a lawsuit on. Um, we, we saw it, you know, a legislative uh, fix. You know, we went to Congress and talked to our friends and say, hey, we got bipartisan letters saying, don't do this. This is a bad idea. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're, we're out of options. And so now we got to say, hey, folks, we're sorry they're doing this to you. But, uh, you know, save your money because it, it's not going to be permanent. Randy Irwin, thanks very much for joining me today. I appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for having me. Coming later in the program, a new look at cyber leadership in the federal government. Government Matters continues in just a moment.
Defense Secretary Mark Esper says this week the Air Force and Space Force are, quote, fundamentally changing the character of war through new technologies. Esper calls air, space, and cyber warriors at the forefront of the future fight. Caitlin Johnson's associate director of the Aerospace Security Project, the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Caitlin, welcome back. Is this a stake in the ground? Is this a new direction in the way that the U.S. military or the Trump administration is talking about space? Or is this a continuation, an evolution of the narrative that you've been seeing? I think it's that second point. It's an evolution of the narrative that we've already been seeing. A lot of this narrative, of course, was, you know, prime focus when the Space Force was created, which was over a year ago or about a, a half a year ago. What is time in the pandemic? Um, but Esper's remarks at the airspace and cyber conference, especially about warfare in space, was a lot of what we've already been hearing and that he's accusing Russia and China of weaponizing space through killer satellites and directed energy weapons, which is not untrue, but uh, it does ignore that we have our own arsenal of both offensive and defensive space weapons as well. It strikes me that what is maybe not new but louder is the call that Secretary Esper is making and others are making in the department and outside the department. Um, this is a quote. We cannot take for granted the United States' long-held advantages. That's similar language to the third offset, but I think when Bob Work suggested the third offset in the Obama administration, there was a sense that we still had a fairly wide margin ahead of China and Russia, and we needed to maintain that. It sounds like Secretary Esper is suggesting that, that that margin is eroding. Am I maybe too much of an alarmist? Well, I can't speak to other domains, but in space, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think Russia and China have incredible capabilities in space, but at the same time, so do we, and even more so. Um, what is maybe alarming is Russia and China are becoming more bold in their testing of capabilities. Um, China just launched um, a, a space plane, very much like our own X-37. Um, and Russia te is testing on-orbit capabilities that's making uh, people inside the department and around the globe uh, a little worried. What is it that we should be able to do to maintain that margin, to try to, and, and maybe even try to expand it? So this is the key question that our General Raymond, uh, who's the commander of the Space Force, is facing right now. Um, what to do and to keep that that margin. And you can hear a lot of this in their rhetoric and in General Roman's speeches as well. Um, but it's building more resilient satellite architectures that are designed to withstand attacks, um, such as jamming or cyber attacks, um, maybe building more distributed architectures so that our capabilities are spread amongst tens or hundreds of satellites instead of a few very high valued and very valuable targets for our adversaries. Um, but General Raymond did say in, in his speech at the conference as well, is that if a CR, if a budget is not passed, a CR would hurt the Space Force. Um, and maybe we are our own worst enemy in this fight. What does the, the reliance right now, the interaction with the commercial space providers mean for somebody like General Raymond who's trying to sort this out. One of the advantages it strikes me that China and Russia have is they can do whatever they want whenever they want, and uh, they can do it under government auspices. 
we don't want that capability, but we also don't have that capability. And so there's that interaction that uh, obviously NASA and, and the services are becoming more reliant, not less reliant on commercial space. I think that's true. Um... But commercial space gives us an incredible advantage. There is innovation that is ongoing in American um, new space companies and our traditional defense stalwarts that is just not happening in China or Russia. And this is because of the way that our system is set up and the way that the government can feed in money to promote research and development in these countries and, and capitalize on you know just the brain power and the innovation that um, that new space has. One of the things that Secretary Esper talked about was the joint warfighting concept, and the joint idea is something that every branch is talking about, um, and, and and how it will apply in space. What's your sense of how the execution of that is actually going? What the execution actually looks like right now, Caitlin? Sure. So I think this is one of the biggest challenges for the space force is is getting this part of the joint warfighting concept right. Space is both uh, an enabler of all other domains and is also able to act independently. And that makes it critical for any joint warfighting construct. And the Space Force is definitely um, allowing policymakers and military professionals to rethink how this construct uh, should be better conducted and better integrate space into the other services. We have less than a minute left, Caitlin. What's the tie-in between the concepts that we've discussed and the Space Force's capstone doctrine, the, the first piece of paper, basically, that says this is how we're going to do business? I think all of these uh, issues that we've covered today and that are in the space power uh, doctrine are not new issues. For the space community, these are issues we've been talking about forever. It's just that it's now being a little louder and when Esper comes out and Raymond come out and talk about these issues, it catches the ear of policymakers on the Hill and in the administration who have, you know, wide influence to to help the Space Force and help DOD make these changes. Caitlin Johnson, great to have you back. Thanks very much. Thanks, Francis. Up next, the future of cyber leadership in government. Straight ahead on Government Matters, getting all cyber efforts on the same page. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. We'll be right back. Welcome back. 23 different federal entities are responsible for cybersecurity in government. The Government Accountability Office says one leader should coordinate all of those efforts. Ari Schwartz is Managing Director of Cybersecurity Services at Venable, former Special Assistant to the President and Senior Director for Cybersecurity. Ari, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. I think of all of the work that GAO did, the thing that jumped out at me the most was this passage. The Senior Director of the NSC Cyber Directorate now fills the, fulfills the duties that were previously assigned to the former White House Cybersecurity Coordinator. GAO says that's the response that they get from the National Security Council. What, what does that mean? Is, is, is that an equal uh, level of responsibility for the jobs that GAO is talking about here? Uh, no, it's, it's really not. I think, you, I mean, there, there were three senior directors uh, at the beginning of this administration, and now there's one. 
Um, and there was uh, 12 staff uh, working on this at the NSC at the beginning of the administration. Now there's six. And you look at what the Congressional uh, Solarium Commission has called for in this space. They're looking for a staff of 50 people uh, to do this to the same coordination. Uh, and uh, it's it's now you're seeing hearing this. Uh, we've we've been hearing from a lot of people that more leadership is necessary. But now having GAO say that it's an urgent issue, I think is really. Uh, hopefully going to change a lot of people's opinion and move this to the top of the list of things that need to get done. Is that the major takeaway for you from the GAO report is just the the urgency that they're attaching to this or is there something else that the GAO reported out that you thought was also significant Ari? Well it's it's the lack of coordination in general and the fact that they say that they're, they're the I think that for the first time they're saying that the administration is not making progress on its own uh, cybersecurity plan and the fact that they uh, have not uh, been able to uh, make that kind of uh, that, that those kind of efforts, especially in the uh, cross agency and, and interagency work that needs to be done because of that lack of coordination is really very clear. At the same time, the same day, they put out another uh, report, GAO put out another report saying that the State Department hasn't been coordinating its efforts. Um, and, and again, it's sort of hard to for agencies to do that when there's not leadership and there's not the coordinating pieces that come together and there's not people to coordinate with, um, through, at least through the White House. What's the overlap look like in this cyber coordinator position that uh, Congressman Langevin has proposed and that the Cyber Solarium Commission uh, has endorsed? What does that person do in relation to some of the other constructs in government? I mentioned those 23 CISs among those, and there are other organizations among those. What's that person in the White House? What would that person in the White House do? Well, I, I think they're talking about having an agency that's inside the White House. It's something that's more similar to what uh, the U.S. Trade Rep does, right, where you have um, a staff, full staff, that kind of maps to the uh, general uh, focus of all of the different areas in, in uh, trade in the in the U.S. trade rep case and everyone reports in through that and then they end up doing that kind of negotiation. In this case you would have all those the, the, all those uh, 20 plus agencies that do cybersecurity reporting into the uh, into the cyber directorate and have uh, detailees from those different agencies that then can be part of the staff for the director who would then be able to help to coordinate across all of it and make sure that these things are getting done. Uh, that was another thing that from the report is like the lack of metrics in this space and is, is hurting the accountability as well. So you help to build those metrics out and, and to really make sure that uh, the work is being followed um, when you have a plan like the, the, the current uh, administration does. And it strikes me that those metrics are now knowable given all the dashboards that we have. There's a lot of information that's being fed to those dashboards that strikes me wouldn't be that difficult for the White House office that's that is proposed here to have visibility into. Is that is that a fair estimate? Absolutely right. I mean, the dashboarding I think is helpful for this this way this is structured. Uh, OMB has built uh, that and helped it and has uh, had a, a cyber team that has worked with the the NSC on this stuff in the past. Um, and the the idea here would be you'd have this new directorate that would then build up. Uh, um, and the ability to track everything that's going on in the space, but be it policy or be it operational cybersecurity.
Congressman Langevin's legislation, Ari, would uh, also, uh, in addition to the cyber director, would uh, put, uh, create two deputy positions, one charged with planning and operations and the other focused on strategy capabilities and budget, according to FCW. Is that, uh, you like that construct? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I think uh, that there needs to be the one that is really focused on operations that does uh, more of the foreign policy pieces that also uh, can focus a little bit on the uh, offensive side, more on the offensive side and figure out what it needs to be done with the uh, in intelligence community and with others in that space. And then, and then there can be one that's, that's doing more of the domestic work, figuring out the budget pieces and, and working with the different agencies involved uh, domestically, DHS, NIST, um, are the ones that, and state, and, and then where's the other ones focus more on the State Department and the IC. Um, 30 seconds left, Ari. What are, the, what are the metrics that this cyber director should be watching what, are, what should other people across government be watching now in lieu of having somebody in that job? Well, I, I mean, you still have the plan, right? And I think that's why uh, uh, the GAO went through such great detail in laying out the plan on what has been accomplished and who is in charge of what um, and how it's getting done and demonstrating that there's this lack of coordination. So I do think that uh, the, the, what the White House can do now is bring together uh, all the different agencies and come up with the plan and, and really start to hit deadlines. That's that's one thing that GAO also mentioned here was there's just a lack of deadlines to get things done, so they're not getting done. Um, if you if, if they really laid out those deadlines and demonstrated uh, publicly that they, that they were hitting those targets, people would feel a lot more comfortable. Um, you know, this is a, a, a really cybersecurity remains an existential threat for the U.S. and not being able to address it is a major concern. Ari Schwartz, thanks very much as always. Thank you. If you've missed the show or you're on the go, you can stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Government Matters is available as an audio podcast. You get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and tune in. Or just ask your digital assistant to play the Government Matters podcast. Be right back. In tonight's event spotlight, this year's virtual AUSA conference includes four days of breaking Army news, seminars, and interactive virtual exhibits. You'll hear from the Secretary of Defense, the Secretary of the Army, the Chief of Staff of the Army, the Sergeant Major, and a lot more. It happens October 13th through 16th. You can get more info at govmatters.tv slash events. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on ABC 7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.